Welcome to Women Who Startup Radio. This is the official Women Who Startup podcast, recorded right here in Denver at the tech studio inside the Cable Center. Season three is all about fundraising, and I'm officially coining this season as Show Us the Money. I'm your host, Lazelle Van Buren, the founder and CEO of Women Who Startup and Effectively Labs. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Women Who Startup Radio. This is Lizelle, and I am pumped for today's episode. Today, I'm sitting down with Alicia Robb. Who in the world is Alicia Robb? Okay, I've known Alicia now for, I don't know, give or take a couple of years. Um, She moved to Boulder, Colorado just a couple of years ago from San Francisco. She's an angel investor and a very cool woman that uh, we're going to get to know. And she's going to talk a bit about Next Wave Ventures, um, an organization that she started that um, provides early stage financing and advising to um, firms and companies and startups. Um, But so we're going to dive into her story. We're going to get to know Alicia a little bit. We're going to talk to her a little bit about fundraising, working with entrepreneurs, working with bigger firms. Um, She used to be uh, for a long time, she used to be a Kauffman Foundation uh, senior fellow, and uh, that had to be just amazing. She's also a doctor. She has a PhD in economic consulting. So we'll explore this smart uh, lady um, and in all of her glory, talk about uh, entrepreneurship, fundraising, and all that goes into showing us the money. Because, you know, that's what this season's all about. It's all about talking to entrepreneurs and investors, and really, really getting into the insights and the experience of being on both sides of the table, the entrepreneur side and the investor side. And sometimes if you're lucky, the same person can tell you about being on both sides. So very, very, very excited to talk to Alicia Robb on our show today. Let's get to it. Hey, let's give a big thank you to the following sponsor. Maria Popo is the founder and CEO of MediaAmp at the Cable Center. Hi, I'm Maria Popo. I'm founder of MediaAmp at the Cable Center. One of our members in this space had a challenge that they were trying to solve. They were trying to get to a customer. What the team here at MediaAmp at the Cable Center did is we made introductions to a large corporation, and now that member has a pretty significant opportunity in front of them. That's one of the reasons you want to be in this space because we care about your success. It's also why we do things like career and life coaching. We're looking at you as a whole package. How can we help you succeed? You can learn more about MediaAmp at the Cable Center at MediaAmpTCC.com. So Alicia, welcome to an episode of Women Who Startup Radio. I have never had the pleasure of having you on Women Who Startup Radio. This is season three, and our theme for season three is show us the money. This is all about fundraising. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So listen, um, for people to get to know you a little bit, would you please do us a favor, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into a fun rapid fire so people can get to know you. Sure. Uh, Let's see. I'm an economist by training. My PhD is in economics. And after I got my PhD, I went to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors in the Greenspan days to work on small business financing issues. And from there, 
I got interested in entrepreneurial finance and went to the Kauffman Foundation where I was for almost 12 years. And now I'm founder and CEO of Next Wave. We have a uh, two angel training pilot uh, funds and programs that are trying to drive diversity in angel investing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Really exciting stuff. Okay. Before we dive into the episode, let's really get that rapid fire underway. Where were you born? Minneapolis. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A jockey. <laughs> that is fantastic. For real? Yeah. Oh, that is so <laughs> good. Until I grew too tall. And then I realized actually horse racing is pretty unethical and uh, not really nice for the horses. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I have coffee with my husband for about 30 minutes and we just sit and drink coffee and chat. That's awesome. <laughs> Best daily ritual that you live by? Other than coffee? Insanity, the workout. Ooh, so the actual workout's called insanity. It is, it's insane, but it's <laughs> <awful>. <laughs> That is awesome. Okay, this song that gets you pretty much through any bad day. Oh, I, well, I love that. Oh no, now I forgot the name of it. <laughs> yeah. That song where uh, George Michael and Elton John have the sun. The oh sun. my God, don't let the sun go down on that. Yeah, oh. <laughs> the live version with those two in concert—it just is my favorite song. <laughs> That's hysterical. I, I heard that song the first time when I was like a teenager. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a powerful one. I ain't gonna lie. Um, yeah. I get it. I get it. Okay, what is your favorite brand right now? Brand. Brand. Uh. Uh. Brand. Um. I have no idea. No. Uh, Favorite brand, anything will do. Food, shoes, a badass brand, a company you're invested in. I mean, a badass brand. Yeah, no, I I, I shop at Goodwill for clothing. So brand is not the, uh, for, for clothing is not the right one. Probably food. I love food. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go with uh, Beyond Meats. Uh, oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, that is so popular, especially here in Denver and Boulder. Wow. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. I hear great things about that. Okay, awesome. final question for Rapid Fire. What is your life motto or mantra? Uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Oh, you're the second guest this season to have that, you know, uh, good old Gandhi yeah. focus. Yeah. 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 We, we need to do, not, not sit by the sidelines. It's a fact. I mean, yeah, the things we want to see change in the world, we really have to actively be able to step up to the plate and quit complaining. Um, yep. and do some things. Um, couldn't agree more. Okay, much respect for your rapid fire. I appreciate it. And it's always a tough one because I throw some wild cards in there, especially like brand. You know, some people are like, boom, yeah, that's my favorite brand right now. And other people, you know, are like, oh. But, so that's great. And uh, that really helps us kind of to kind of set um, a, a crazy picture in our head of this awesome guest as in you. So listen, you did not just one day step into the entrepreneurial world, the fundraising world. Can you give us just a very brief highlight reel of your career? I know you are a very educated woman. I know you have a PhD in, um, in finance, uh, if I said that right, economic consulting. Yeah, and so can you give us a little gist of where you went to school, what you studied, how the heck did you uh, continue to move that needle on your studies through PhD and why, and, and how that's kind of set the, the premise for 
what you do today. And we'll get to what you do today. But give me a little bit of that backbone, please. You want the one minute version or the three minute version? Go with the three minute. I want substance. All right, good. Well, I think my life completely changed when I was 15 and I read this book called um, Against All Hope by Amando Valladares, who was a, a Cuban political prisoner. And I learned all, all about uh, Castro and political prisoners and, you know, living in middle class Dallas, white suburb, going to uh, Ursuline Academy. Um, it just really changed my world. And I really wanted to work in, in Latin America and so the next summer I went to Belize to volunteer. You couldn't really get to Cuba at that point. And mm-hmm. so I started getting really involved with the Central American crisis. Um, and and so I ended up going to Belize uh, the first summer. And then every summer after I went to, you know, Colombia, Mexico um, and, and Spain and other countries. And so I really got into uh, economic development and wanted mm-hmm. to study um basically international development and Spanish. And so I went to college to do that. And when I was looking at what minor to do, I decided on peace and justice studies. And I went home at Christmas and I said, my dad said, so what's your, what's your major? And I said, multinational organizational studies. He's like, I have no idea what that is. What's your minor? (laughs) Justice studies. He's like, Oh God, no. Oh no. (laughs) So I went back and I looked at what, what, what I could do as a minor. And I, found economics was the one I already kind of had to take some classes for my major. Mm. So I asked that as my minor, but then I realized everything we do has an economic basis to mm-hmm. um, our behavior and markets and so forth. And so I ended up double majoring in economics. And after, um, after doing my senior internship in Honduras at the ministry of economics, I decided to do Peace Corps, but wow. or before that, before, before going to on my senior internship, I got completely disillusioned with Latin America, yeah. economics, development when I was in Honduras and I came back and I actually canceled my Peace Corps plans and went into economic consulting in Madison, Wisconsin. But then, uh, you know, I remembered all the good things about Latin America and international development and decided to go for my PhD, um, which I did in, in North Carolina. And there I really got into microfinance and women's empowerment. Mm. And so I master's thesis on microfinance. And then when I was looking around to figure out what's next, I got a job offer from the Small Business Administration to actually go do my dissertation up in D.C. with them on entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial finance. And so I did that, which then led to me working at the uh, uh, well, and my in my dissertation ended up being on the role of race, gender and discrimination in entrepreneurial performance. Wow. That led me to the Federal Reserve. And working on the small business finance survey and and dealing in small business finances, which then led me to Kaufman to work in entrepreneurial finance. Wow. And uh, it all started with microfinance, but it all started in when I was 15 and, and read that book about, um, you know, political prisoners in, in Cuba. So. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really powerful because I think uh, a lot of times when we're really young, certain things start to click for us and we're like, whoa whoa, what is this? And, and you went and you continued to explore that. And wow, like, I mean, it's really, it's really made, uh, would, you, would you say it's really kind of made you the person that you are today by having the opportunity to go and see the world like you did? Definitely. And you know what? I just completely skipped out the whole nonprofit I started in 1995 and ran for 12 years alongside my PhD, the SBA and the Federal Reserve and how I ended up 
leaving the Federal Reserve to move to California to scale my company. And then once I got it up and running at a with more staff, I joined the board and then I went to work for the Kauffman Foundation. So I actually started a nonprofit called Foundation for Sustainable Development that works in emerging markets, Latin America, Africa, India, um, partnering with local grassroots organizations that are working in economic development. So I actually did that for 12 years and I always forget about that because, <laughs> you know, it's not the, uh, the, not the high paying job and the yeah. professional part of, you know, what I associate the Fed and, and the, the Fed and Kaufman. Uh, but when you, when I think about what I'm most proud of uh, in my you know past, it's, you know, my love for animals and compassion for the planet and all living beings and, you know, this nonprofit that I started. So that's amazing. I didn't, I didn't actually know that. That's, uh, that's really cool. And I'm glad you didn't, uh, forget to mention that. So, um, that's interesting. And today, do you work with any nonprofits just out of curiosity? Sure. I'm on the advisory board of that Foundation for Sustainable Development, the company I started. Nice. I'm on the advisory board of the Good Food Institute. Um, and I, you know, I'm a kind of a mentor and advisor to various other nonprofits that yeah. are in animal space, including um, Compassion Without Borders that does spay neuter and vet training in Mexico. And I have two dogs that come from Juarez, Mexico. That's an amazing backdrop for, for, uh, and I know probably such little perspective on how much you've already done. Tell me about what it was like to work within the Kauffman Foundation. I mean, what did you explore? What was your focus? What what did you hammer on? What did you take away from that experience? Because you were there for quite some time, yes? Yeah, almost 12 years. So wow. I was in the research and policy group. I was a senior fellow. Um, a lot of people think I was a Kauffman fellow with the Kauffman Fellows Program, which is actually a spin out in that trains VCs, but I was actually a senior fellow with the Kauffman Foundation, and I worked in the policy, research and policy group. Um, I I was brought on board to manage the Kauffman Firm Survey, which was a longitudinal study of startups mm. that be, that began operations in 2004. That we tracked over eight years to try and understand how startups function, what the dynamics are, how they innovate, how they grow. What, the, how, what drives differences in performance, how they finance companies, how they finance their companies. And when, you know, the crisis hit in 2007 and eight, we were the only source of data that looked at credit market experiences and borrowing by these companies when credit markets pretty much shut down and Whoa. people could access the capital. Yeah, big deal. And it was, it was a tough time. And, and I think that that data was pretty vital, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had yeah. to do it and, and uh, Kaufman did. Yeah. I have, I love yeah. the Kaufman Foundation, a fantastic organization. They are. And, and so much of my work was around the Kaufman firm survey, but all of the research I did for my dissertation and then at the Federal Reserve around the gender gap in entrepreneurship, the racial and ethnic gap in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial performance mm -hmm. uh, led me to do more research in, in, in those areas as well as entrepreneurial finance. And so when the Jobs Act came around and we were working on that, I did research in, um, in on crowdfunding and then also with equity investing, angel financing, uh, VC financing. And so they supported my research efforts. I wrote lots of articles and ch book chapters and two books during my time there. And so it was a, it was a great experience. They are the foundation of entrepreneurship and uh, they've done amazing things and I hope they'll continue to do those. 
Yeah, me too. I'm still trying to get them in my corner here for women who start up. I keep trying, damn it. I keep trying. <laughs> I'll do a couple intros for yeah. you. Uh, awesome. Um, I love that you just started to touch on the the type of uh, research and exploration you did in, in, investor, in investment. So what kind of an investor are you? Well, I started equity investing actually through crowdfunding when the Jobs uh-huh. Act allowed accredited investors to do equity crowdfunding. I started and got my feet wet there before I did, started doing angel investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started doing that, I, uh, I had written a book with Susan Coleman called A Rising Tide about financing strategies for women-led companies. Mm. And it was all about financing strategies across the gamut of home-based, uh, Main Street-type businesses to VC-backed high-tech companies. Mm-hmm. And everyone was really focused on those high-tech VC-backed companies. And Stanford, that who published the first book, came back to us and said, hey, we do a second book just focusing on high growth. And we said, yes, if we can also focus on the gender gap on the investor side, because it's even bigger than the gender gap in yeah. high growth entrepreneurship. So they said yeah. yes, yeah. and so we did. And so as part of that, of that research, we interviewed a lot of angel investors and VCs and some of the things I would ask them were, you know, what would you, you know, do differently if you had three things to tell as prospective investors, what would you tell them? And it was all these things that would have saved me a lot of time and heartache and, um, you know, mistakes that I made as an early investor. And so I, you know, I decided when I looked at the landscape of what was out there right now to try to bring more people into angel investing and educate them, there was not one there was a lot of angel groups that were focusing on women investors or were there angel groups focusing on women-led companies, but mm-hmm. it was really tackling the fact that um, people w- were, were scared to make that first large investment into one company. So I actually designed a program that was a pilot that was piloted in the U S and, and in Europe that brought together 99 women into a fund or two funds um, where they would make one investment, but it would get diversified into a portfolio of six to 10 companies. And there would be nine lead investors that mentored the 90 new and emerging investors. When I broached Kaufman about doing this, they said, yeah, that's a great idea, but it'll take us five years to get through the lawyers. So just go do it and we'll sponsor the education and training piece. And so we did. And, um, you know, we, we deployed all those funds and, you know, what I kind of came away from that was, you know, I wasn't, some of the companies we invested in, I did, wasn't that excited about what they did. Mm. And so I knew if I was going to stay investing and stay engaged in the angel scene, I really wanted to devote my time and energy and money into companies that were really having a significant positive impact on our planet, on society, on people. And so the, I decided to do a second fund that had the same model of the 99 with the nine leads that made up the investment committee, but then also... Um, had this investment um, threshold of impact. And so this new new fund I, I'm doing is actually uh, impact focused and ha- these companies have to meet that additional threshold because I think also that kind of resonates more with women because we want to make money, but we also want to do good. And I don't think you have to make that trade off of not making money by doing good. I think you can do both and our fund will hopefully prove that. I cannot agree more. Uh, I mean, I talk about this a lot with the dozens and dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs that I meet. You know, I uh, it's tough. And, and you know what I love? I love that you you did create a nonprofit in your earlier days. You, you do support a lot of nonprofits because I think it's a huge impact in our world. But I do really love that you're um, 
putting your money on, like quite literally, on impact entrepreneurship because money is power and power does generate impact. And we really need to get great entrepreneurs that are doing well by doing good. We need to get them more and more and more support from from capital to great team members to, you know, market validation, all that stuff. So mentors and advisors and board members. And, you know, with our fund, we're not only providing the the financial capital of those investments, but we're providing human capital of 99 women who want to support these companies. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what this is all about. Building, you know, the interesting thing about I I think especially early, early entrepreneurs or, you know, or, you know, new founders, they you know, and I get it. I've, I've been there. And so you just, you know, you're running, you're trying to figure it out. You're a sponge and you're making lots of mistakes and you're just trying to surround yourself with some of the right people that can, you know, give you the right tips so that you don't have to bust through a hundred walls, maybe just 10, you know? <laughs> and I think that is uh, really critical. I have never heard of anyone's success where they weren't taken under someone's wing that believed in them and then helped them explore all the possibilities to their success. And we need to be able to do this more for for entrepreneurs. I mean, I think that's what it sounds like you're doing. I want to say that's what a lot of venture firms um, hopefully do. I know Woman Who Startup is trying to do that. um, And there's a lot of organizations that are trying to do that. But I think that the depth of that is is really quite critical. So I love that. And I'm going to want to explore a little bit more about uh, next wave ventures and, uh, you know, what you're learning there and stuff like that. So, so you learned a ton from writing those books and I'll list those books, uh, in, uh, in, uh, associated with your podcast episode, because obviously we want to kind of, um, download all that, uh, information and research that, that you already did. But I want to understand, like, so when you started angel investing, what did you what did you learn? I know your early days were different. And for both entrepreneurs and uh, new investors or even serial investors listening, you know, like the cool thing is we can all learn from each other's experiences. And, and I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I want to learn more. I want to understand what it's like to be on that other side of the table. What are you listening for? What are you looking for as a as an angel investor? When you're talking to entrepreneurs a dime a dozen, right? Every day, all day, so many, all day. <laughs> um, and uh, there's 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 things that you start to tune into. Personality traits, chutzpah, go-getters, have what it takes, integrity, uh, authenticity. Inte- you know, I said integrity, but I cannot amplify that enough, which I think goes hand in hand with, you know, trusting that they can they can do what they say they can do. So what are some of the things, you know, from your early days unto now and with this incredible group of people that you're investing with, you know, what what are some really great important takeaways that we as entrepreneurs can really learn from and, and also even investors can really learn from? Yeah, let me start with the investor piece because, you know, to the lights that went out when I was interviewing angel investors about what mistakes they they would uh, or what advice they would give to new angels were, were two things that really hit home were mistakes that that. I made. One was some one one angel said, you know, don't look at this from a consumer perspective. Look at it from an investor perspective, because you as a consumer might might want to see this product or service come to the market, but mm. you as investor need to look and see if the market's valid, if the mm. they have the margins, if they can scale, if they have the you know capacity. Not that you just want to see this product mm-hmm. in the market. So don't look at a deal from that perspective. 
The other one was look at 20 deals before you make an investment because you want to invest in everything. And quite honestly, you got to just sit back and like look at things and kind of go through all of them and, you know, rationally and, and not so emotionally mm-hmm. and look at, you know, the cost benefits, you know, and, and the, just the economics of if this company really has, um, has the ability to scale. Mm-hmm. On the entrepreneur side, you know, last week was Boulder Startup Week and mm-hmm. I was on the panel, what we look for. And I got a great question um, from the moderator, you know, what is an absolute turnoff? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the panelists had to say, you know, what was one thing where you just walk away immediately? And, you know, this, you said this authenticity or this um, integrity. And I think, um, you know, where I have made a mistake or two in the past is really having a gut instinct about an entrepreneur and, and investing anyway, because I, you know, for, for whatever reason, and really finding out that indeed that the, the, the person, the founder is not aligned with, you know, values and, and the character that I'm looking for in an entrepreneur. Um, so I would say just the entrepreneur and the team is, is something that we, that we look at very closely because we also mentioned in that, in that same panel, you know, investing is a relationship. And so you as an entrepreneur are going to be in a relationship with these investors. And we as investors are going to be in a relationship with these entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. This could be, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, it could be a long relationship. And so you really want to make sure that you're aligned in your values and your outlook and, um, you know, character, David Rose's angel book, he talks a lot about character. If the entrepreneur doesn't have character, just walk away because that, that matters more than anything. Yeah. The, the team matters, the scalability matters, the opportunity to exit or, you know, somehow get your money back is, are all very, very important. But if, you know, if the, if, if you're, if you're not aligned in your values, none of it makes sense. Yeah. Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. Regardless of what kind of capital you're raising, equity, debt, seed capital, venture capital, it's really important to be prepared. Everyone who is going to give you money is going to ask for the same core set of documentation. It's not personal. People are going to say no. A lot of people are going to say no. So just accept that and move on to the next person. We'd like to thank PWI for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at pwi.com. No, I think that's a core uh, understanding that first-time entrepreneurs, they learn the hard way. And I think first-time investors, to your point, you're like, whoa, 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 (laughs) slow your roll. Please look at a lot of deals and start understanding like things that are resonating and stuff. So I have this interesting notion where, uh, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur and when I was um, like, let's say I, when I was working on my like first startup, um, you know, I was like, man, I've got this great idea. And, all, you know, all I need to do is, is, you know, share that great idea with all these investors and they're all going to cut us checks and, you know, boom, <laughs> that's how it works. And of course, years later now, um, I've had to fundraise in different capacities from crowdfunding to angel money. Um, I've supported some, you know, venture money uh, deals and now uh, turning women who start up into social enterprise. I'm looking at impact funds and, you know, different type of potential angel funds as well as crowdfunding funds. And, you know, like he- here's here's my current 
epiphany and and school me if I'm wrong or if you disagree. Um, and I would love to hear your perspective on this because at at some point you really start to just get it. Hey, as an entrepreneur, I'm putting something out in the world. I'm validating it against the market. The market is giving me feedback. And then at some point, it's important if I want to grow, I need to start to kind of figure out, is that growth a requirement for me to go raise additional money? And my first and foremost, you know, income should be focused on on revenue, depending on what I'm building. You know, we're not in Silicon Valley. I'm not just building a user base in technology. It's a little different in the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Like I, and I just generally like revenue models. Like I like to figure out before I've even shipped anything, like, okay, how, how do I get my first dollar? How does the market validate it by actually paying? And I think that's been a, you know, maybe just a huge contribution of who I am, but it's also how I roll and, and it's become more concrete. But to get to my point, one of the most interesting things that I talk about now here in 2017 is as an entrepreneur, you got to put everything you've got out there into the world. And you have to realize that if you speak to like 10,000, you know, if you're fortunate to ever meet that many investors, maybe about 100 or 200 are really going to resonate and who really want to you know, have that gut check and and who align and who can support you. And it's not just the check, like for God's sake, like, let's be honest, like that's the easy part. I'm not saying it's not an important part, but it's the easy part. Like the exchange of, of capital is, 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 you know, it's logistics, but it's then that relationship and, and, and all that stuff. So I try to say to entrepreneurs, like what you have to really figure out is who aligns already with your market, with your product, with what you're doing. And, and that takes a ton of work, right? Fundraising is a full-time job on top of your damn full-time job as a founder. I mean, what does any of this resonate or is this crazy? Oh, no, definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, speaking specifically about women-led companies, I think one reason why more women-led companies don't get angel and VC financing is they stop asking when they hear the first 99 no's. Because are definitely going to hear 99 no's before you get that first yes. And women are so much more likely to take that personally and doubt what they're doing is is valid and stop asking. Whereas men will just keep going until they get those yeses. Um, but you're right. It's not smart to take any money. You definitely want your investors to be aligned in your mission and the goals for your company and not just there to make a quick buck. And just like for us, we're not looking for entrepreneurs that just want to make money. We really want to invest in entrepreneurs that are passionate and crazy about solving some, some big problem and just about the money. Yeah. Yeah. I think that alignment is, is pretty core, pretty critical and, and pretty valid. I mean, I think that's like the human essence, like that connection point. So, okay. So, um, I mean, you're, you're extremely well-versed in, in just researching the world of capital, economics, fundraising, funding entrepreneurs. Um, you are yourself an angel investor, and um, you've started this uh, Next Wave Ventures. Talk a little bit about, like, if, if you know, not if, talk a little bit about your portfolio. Talk about how diverse do you like to focus your portfolio to be? Do you invest in like one company a year? Like what makes sense for you? And this is more even from, I think, like an investor standpoint, understanding like not, not no two investors are the same. 
everyone is unique and they have different flows and different portfolios. And uh, I'm I'm curious and interested to know like what is what is what is your what does your portfolio look like and why? You know, because this is your life, right? And your livelihood. And you're investing it in people that you believe in so that they can continue to make the world a better place. Because it definitely sounds like that's the kind of investor you are. And God knows we need like about a million more of you. And uh, I know you're working on that too. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm curious about like what matters to you as an investor. Does it matter that you invest in like a hundred companies a year and you expect like, one or two to to maybe break even, let alone have a significant, you know, uh, potential acquisition or outcome or ROI. You know, like what is what is instinctively important to you as an investor? Well, before I start that, let me just say I, I think the venture capital market is broken. The model is broken. I don't think we need to accept the fact that if you make ten investments, you expect eight to go belly up, one to return your money, and one to do it be a home run. Mm. I. Think destruction of those eight failures is really bad for the economy. It's bad for the communities. It's bad for the investors. It's certainly bad for the entrepreneurs and the employees. And so I, I don't think we need to accept that as, as the status quo. And I think we need to think more deeply about models that work for, for everyone. So in terms of my angel investing, so as a fund manager, I obviously have a fiduciary responsibility to my investors to create a you know, positive, uh, positive return. And we do that by investing in a diversified portfolio of companies across geography, across sector, across stage. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, support the entrepreneurial uh, companies in our portfolio as they scale. It's still early, so we haven't had any exits yeah. yet. Um, as an invest, as an angel investor, um, I've invested in my two funds as well as, um, you know, three other funds. So I'm getting that diversified portfolio across those other funds. I've done crowdfunding investments uh, online through equity. I do a lot of um, funding through Kickstarter and Prosper and, cool. and so through debt and rewards-based crowdfunding as well. And then I have maybe, I guess, 10 or 12 uh, angel investments just separately out of that. So for example, in the Boulder area, I invested in Merge Lane and SecureSet. Um, my passion right now is actually investing in, um, as I was talking about, Beyond Meat, um, plant-based alternatives, cool. um, companies that are disrupting animal agriculture. So yeah. I've invested yeah. in everything from a, a vegan protein powder to a vegan res new vegan restaurant in Fort Collins cool. to, uh, to other kinds of companies that are disrupting, uh, disrupting the food animals or disrupting animals from the uh, supply, getting animals out of the supply chain. Right. Yeah. Cause you are, you are personally vegan. So that's, that just aligns with who you are as a, as a human being, um, which, you know, like think that's awesome and you can contribute to that. Right. Like you're not going to go and invest in a chicken farm. It just doesn't align with you. Like don't come and ask you to invest <laughs> in like a dairy farm. It like, for God's sake, people, Alicia is a vegan. Stop it. You're crazy. But so like even just knowing that about an investor helps you say, you know what? I'm not going to ask Alicia to go invest in my dairy farm. She's vegan. Done. But it doesn't mean she, she can advise me or I can't be friends with this incredible person. But, you know, like even some simple facts, it's just about getting to know, you know, the people behind the investor title is like highly critical for entrepreneurs. 
Yeah. Yeah. You need to do your homework. I mean, I have definitely answered cold calls. I just answered two today. From I mean, the more people find out about me that I'm a vegan investor, there's not that many of us. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I get more and more uh, cold, cold emails, cold calls from from entrepreneurs, and I've invested in several. Yeah. I love them, and I'm talking to two of them now. So. Um, you know, some people get worried if they don't have an in and certainly most of my investing is actually done through referrals, but I definitely, if it's something that is aligned with my values and my passion, I will definitely look at, look at you. Yeah. And I think that's such an honest and important statement from an, uh, an investor. It's important for us entrepreneurs to just get that, like stop trying to, uh, you know, what, what I think we do a lot of is we kill ourselves for like those 99 no's. And it's because we've asked pretty much every vegan investor to invest in our dairy farm, so to speak, from a, from a, you know, from an example standpoint. And we just need to find the right type of investors. And that is a, that is a very long game. And I think we can actually disrupt that with technology. Like what type of investors are investing in what types of phases, you know, from angel seed to series A, B and onwards, you know, heavy growth. Uh, to, you know what I mean? Like we can connect. It's hmm? so funny you say this because I was just at the Angel Capital Summit in San Francisco last month and we were talking about exactly that. I want to build this- that. I want to build that. We are going to be building this. We would love your help. We want to be able to connect both the funders at the different stages across the life cycle of firms so that if we're investing and we do at the seed stage, we know who the funders are at Series A, Series B, Series C down the road, and we can feed that pipeline for those companies and those investors. And so all of the inv- linking the investors um, as well with mm-hmm. monthly phone calls where we share deal flow and share best practices, et cetera. But by creating that actual mapping of the landscape, yeah. um, specifically around those uh, funds that are investing in women-led companies, but also broken out by sector by stage, by geography, et cetera. Yeah, I, I mean, let me tell you, like a part of this, uh, one of one of the, you know, 10,000 ideas I have under the Woman Who Startup uh, brand is to definitely build a really smart uh, application that connects entrepreneurs with the right investors in much faster time. I think both sides of the table really benefit from that. Because, I mean, investors are constantly trying to get deal flow and they have FOMO and they don't want to miss out. and. Uh, some have pipelines, some don't have pipelines. Some are smart enough to be partnered with women who start up and they have pipeline and some are silly and they aren't partnered. And so they just stick to their network. And that means not a lot of entrepreneurs get exposure to them. So it's just like, it's all just arbitrary. It's hilarious that investors invest in the future of, you know, uh, of the world. And we haven't really figured out much like we are just starting to see in the HR tech space, how we're connecting people with the right opportunities in context of jobs and uh, work, whether freelance or full-time. Well, we need to do the exact same bloody thing for investors and entrepreneurs because it's hard, like that's tough. And I think entrepreneurs like having to raise money for like two years straight, like that's insane, right? Two, four years. That's fun and it takes away from you building your business. So it's not efficient at all. Yeah. Amen to that. Okay, so you just went to the Angel Summit in San Francisco. You know all the things. I want to know more of the things. What are really important things that an entrepreneur needs to consider when they're considering 
raising money. I think one of the biggest problems for some entrepreneurs, because there's a very loud narrative and it comes out of, you know, certain ecosystems that, you know, you got an idea and you got to go raise money. (sighs) You got an idea, you got to go build it. You got to go validate it. And then you got to start figuring out, is there a business model? You know, I think the the world of business modeling is is really underestimated. So I want to ask you, as an entrepreneur, we're setting out, you know, any listener listening today to to you as an investor, we're, we're gearing up, you know, like, what are the things we really need to think about before we even start hitting the streets? Because it's going to be hell of a lot of work. Well, Funny you asked that because I just reviewed a book called Raise Capital on Your Own Terms, How to Fund Your Business Without Selling Your Soul. And it actually gets at, you know, how to think about raising money and maybe not necessarily having to go to go to angel investors or, or VCs. Um, it's not out yet, but it's by Jenny Casson and it'll be out, I think, you know, August or maybe mm. even, I think it might already be on uh, Amazon. Mm. But in any case... Um, yeah, it it is it is tough, and and it's it's easy it's it's so easy to get sucked into thinking that you know venture capital from Silicon Valley is the only way to scale. I mean, think about group companies like Spanx. I mean, she self funded and bootstrapped her entire company that's worth like a billion dollars now. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't take any outside equity. Stephanie Breedlove, who wrote All In. Um, you know, scaled her company and and bootstrapped and never took outside funding. And she sold her company to care.com for 55 million. So you don't always have to look at angel angels and VCs as the only path to scaling your company and, um, and, and becoming successful. Very few companies actually get angel or VC financing. So there are, there are alternative ways to, to finance your business um, that, that don't involve those, those groups. That said, yeah. they can be helpful, right? I mean, yeah. it's not just the financial capital, it's the network, it's the human capital, it's the advising uh, and expertise that can really help you scale, but it's not the end all be all and there are other channels. One thing I wanna ask you is um, about bootstrapping. And I, and I, I, am, I am such a bootstrapper. Like, I don't necessarily like to take money, but there are opportunities where it does make sense because you don't want to, you don't want to lose, you know, everyone's running and everyone else is getting money. And so you feel a sense of pressure that Jesus, you know, if, if I'm going to be a real player here, let alone win, you know, I gotta, I gotta put my foot on the gas and that requires, um, some cash sometimes, right? Cause it's just operations and marketing growth, uh, let alone product development. But I love that as an investor, it's important that, you know, you tell entrepreneurs like, listen, that's not the end all and that's not the be all. The one interesting thing I want to talk about on the other side of that, which is how can we get the investor community to write women more checks, even even if they bomb, like for God's sake, like, you know, the one thing I truly believe in my heart, in my gut, is that we are not betting on enough people who have phenomenal potential. And this this spans beyond just women. I'm talking about women. I'm talking people of color. I'm talking about the LGBTQ community. I'm talking about anyone with a disability. I'm talking about a lot of people who are 
are kind of pushed out or not considered in the grand scheme of, oh, well, this is what a winner looks like in the entrepreneurial, you know, world. And, uh, you know, I'll just keep betting on that. And and I think that has obviously a lot to do with the the venture world still being pretty white male dominant. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that because that's the goddamn fact, right? Like that's just a fact. And I think there's a lot of incredible leaders out there that are trying to change the game. And we have to get a lot of incredible women who have been very successful to also start writing other women some checks, you know, investing back into the ecosystem of innovators and entrepreneurs. So that that was, obviously that yeah. was the mouthful, but you know, what do you think about that? No, definitely. And the whole reason why I started tackling the, the gender gap on the investor side is because they're very much related. I mean, the research shows two things. One, that people invest in what they personally see a need for. And so if they can't relate to the product or service, they're less likely to fund it. So you can imagine a lot of companies that women start have a product or service that men can't relate to. And, you know, we're half the population, so we have a we have a big market if we even if we just addressed women for yep. our product or service. If they don't see the value in it, they they probably won't fund it. The other thing we have that the research shows is homophily. You like to hang out with people like you. You like to start companies with people like you. You like to invest in companies that are started by people like you. And so the reason why most of the funding goes to white men is because most of the investors are white men. So one way to really get diversity in uh, into diverse companies is to get more diversity on the investor side. So I'm tackling women right now, but certainly this the same need is to um, to create a more diverse pool of investors on all the fronts that you just all along all the mm-hmm. dimensions that you just mentioned. So I'm yeah. tackling women yeah. first, but clearly um, that is one way to drive more investment into diverse companies is to drive diversity on the investor side. Yeah, I mean, like this is just you know me thinking out loud like all the time. I, any any issues that we have from a gender gap standpoint begins and ends with leadership. And if we don't have diversity in leadership, we are having a tough time to move the needle on anything. And I mean, you know, leadership and investment, leadership and entrepreneurship, leadership and politics, leadership and everything, right? And if, if we just don't have diverse leadership, it trickles down into, you know, not everyone everyone have not everyone having an opportunity to innovate. And this is the like this is honestly the most frustrating part of of knowing and working with now for years with thousands of female entrepreneurs and innovators. And I see the potential in these human beings. And sure, they may not have graduated from Yale or Harvard, but these people have grit and they do need opportunities, whether it's mentorship, advisory, and access to capital for them to take those ideas and go and build very interesting products and services and goods out in the marketplace. But they just can't get their hands on that cash, let alone, you know, cash that comes with these great, um, you know, mentors and advisors. And it's it's like, it's stifling. I think a lot of people kind of are, I think actually what women are doing is actually really brilliant because they're saying, screw it. Crowdfunding is where we are rocking ass and we are kicking butt and women are doing excellent um, as uh, crowdfunding, um, uh, you know, capital raisers and you don't have to give anything away. And now we have crowdfunding really expanding into um, kind of more, you know, 
uh, revenue sharing. And so that's opening another world. It's just very interesting to me. And, and, and you mentioned earlier, you know, you started in the crowdfunding world even before you started writing angel checks. It's, it's very interesting that women are having such success in the crowdfunding world. But when they walk into a boardroom and they pitch, you know, <laughs> a handful of male uh, VCs, they're just not getting big fat checks. And I'm talking big fat checks. I'm talking millions of dollars to bet on 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 crazy ideas, just like they're betting on Snapchats and Instagrams, and, for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not brain surgery to think of all these crazy things that could have potential of millions of users, but we're giving big fat checks to a certain group of people, and it's a very small group of people. So... I'm hopeful that that's changing. Yeah, um, me too. Certainly not changing fast enough, but you know, we're, we're we're looking for returns, and as as we can show that returns are are good for investing in women, we're obviously going to get more capital there um, by everyone. But I think we get we need to get just more entry into angel investing by uh, women and minorities and other underrepresented groups to get yeah. those yeah. early stage companies funded and have them show proof of concept market fit and growth potential so that the VCs have some of that risk mitigated for them. Yeah. Okay. So I want to kind of start wrapping up with next wave ventures. So I believe, as you mentioned, it's a fund and I believe you're uh, leading it in a way, but tell me, tell me a little bit about next wave ventures, who you're working with, um, what's important for you folks, you know, um, who can get involved, who can uh, benefit from it? Like, tell me all the things about Next Wave, please. Sure. So nextwave.ventures is our website. So Next Wave is actually the name of the company, not Next Wave Ventures. Um, but yeah, so our pilot funds were in the U.S. and, and Europe last, the last couple of years, and now we're doing a new impact fund. Uh, we have nine in the leadership team besides myself that are uh, located across the country uh, geographically uh, we, with lots of different sector expertise and interests from clean tech to fintech to education. We are looking for early stage companies um, with some traction for uh, our first checks are in the 100 to 250K range, um, but we have saved, we'll save some for follow on um, in in their next round for check sizes of 250 to 50K. We're sector agnostic. As I said, we have some, you know, interest in FinTech and clean tech and education, health, et cetera. But the, the main thrust is uh, impact, having some positive, significant impact on planet, people, communities. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now. It doesn't Great. have to be led, but clearly we're, Cognizant of the fact that diverse teams do better. Of our 10 investments with a pilot fund, nine had women on the founding team, six had women CEOs, and three had minority CEOs. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think our, our track record speaks for ourselves and our, our interest in, in investing in diverse teams. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really great. Well, I mean, it. I think we... Course- Angel yeah. investor and want to invest in vegan companies. So if you're a, a <laughs> vegan who has a vegan company that's just getting animals out of the supply chain, I'm definitely interested in seeing that uh, from the angel side. And cl- clearly one of the in- areas of interest for the fund is sustainable food. So hmm. that's the impact. So we, the fund would look at them as well, but I'm definitely interested in looking up at, at you from a uh, angel investor perspective as well. 
And you're not trying to twist everyone's arm to go drop everything they're doing right now and go start a vegan company, but you're not opposed to it either. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone needs to drop what they're doing and go start vegan companies and get animals out of the supply chain. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And there's a lot of environment. It'll save our health and it'll save our planet and it'll save a lot of animals. Yeah. That's, that's a fact. I love that. So in closing, um, uh, you may know that Women Who Start Up has a slogan of keep climbing. You know, what What continues to inspire you to kind of keep climbing your investor-type journey? You're bringing a lot of women to the table from an investor standpoint. You're trying to close that gap, um, which is a huge gap. And, and uh, you know, that I think that journey is just starting um, and pretty aggressively. And, uh, you know, what, 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 what keeps you motivated to keep doing this? Can you imagine doing anything else? You know, I really can't. I, I'm really happy with where I'm at and where I'm going. I'm so excited to work with these nine amazing women who feel as passionately about impact investing as I do and women's empowerment and taking this global. I think we finally are turning the needle. I, one of my uh, nine in, on the investment committee is Wendy Wolfson, who started a women's angel fund 20 years ago. And when I asked her to be one of the nine in the pilot, she's like, my gosh, is this still necessary? <laughs> and it's kind of depressing that it is. Uh-huh. But I think for the first time, we are really seeing some traction and some change. And I think not necessarily we're at the tipping point right now, but I, I just see the momentum that we're building And it's just been so inspiring the last few years to be part of this community and network of women who are putting their money where their mouths are and getting invested both financially and personally in the success of these companies. And as we create more successful entrepreneurs, they're going to have successful exits and those those women will go on and be angel investors, mentors, board members, advisors, co-founders. And we just keep building and building the economic an entrepreneurial ecosystem. So we're, so we reach parity because Mm. when half of your, when half of your population is not actively participating in your economy, everybody loses and Mm -hmm. we really need to get to parity so that everybody wins. I love that. Very powerful. I appreciate that. And a shameless ask, like, what do you think of women who start up now? Cause you've known, you've known of our organization a little bit and you know, it's growing and changing. I mean, do I have some work to do? I mean, I always have some work to do. What do you have to say about women who start up? Well, I joined the... the, the <laughs> well, I joined. I, I'm definitely interested and I'm moving back to Boulder this summer. And so I hope to get much oh, cool. more involved now when I'm based there. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, Miss Alicia Robb, thank you for your time, for your insights. I know we can talk for hours about um, the world of investment and uh, venture capital and angel investments, but thank you for um, your insights. We'll share all the cool, amazing resources that you touched on for this podcast. Thank you very, 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 very much. And um, anything you want to leave in closing for entrepreneurs as well as investors out there listening? Oh, just thank you so much for having me and just everyone just go out there and be the change you want to see. It's the only way it's going to happen. Thank you, Alicia. Big thanks to Alicia Robb for joining me on another episode of Women Who Startup Radio and all things fundraising. I mean, you can tell if you were listening to her amazing insights, stories, feedback, and know-how about the world of just dealing with uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, 
pitching her and, uh, and being the type of uh, investor that she is, she's just really insightful. Like I really love talking to investors and really getting a little bit into their headspace. I mean, this is what it, this is really what it takes as an entrepreneur. You know, you gotta ask a lot of questions to entrepreneurs without just trying to get their damn money. <laughs> I mean, in fact, when you're not looking for money is likely when an investor is more likely to actually want to invest in you. As an entrepreneur, trust me, be focused on building your company, validating that concept, moving through all those hardships that, you know, the market's like not validating and you're running against yourself. Just trust me, build those companies or take those ideas and figure out if there is a business model to turn it into an actual revenue positive company and, and do well by doing good, people. Um, but uh, it's an interesting insight to think about finding funding by not looking for money, being focused on your business and not focused on fundraising. And then when you do raise money, you better be prepared to build that company and figure out how it becomes scalable, repeatable, profitable, all those good things that a company needs to be um, and learning from that. And uh, if you are out there and you've built an awesome, successful company, you've had an exit, you can be an investor, please consider uh, becoming uh, an investor, uh, especially of women and any, anyone marginalized. And uh, if you're looking for deal flow, let Women Who Start Up know. All right, my friends, that was an awesome uh, episode uh, of Women Who Start Up Radio. Until next time, take care of yourselves and keep climbing. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Women Who Start Up Radio. To learn more about Women Who Start Up, please visit womenwhostartup.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel inspired to share it everywhere and to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Take care of yourselves, my friend. And as always, keep climbing.